All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me, to, with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, my father John, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 603 points or 1.8%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 98 points, or 2.5%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 481 points, or 4.3%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 11%. Thank you, Jeff. And for any longtime listeners, Joe Rust is off for this weekend show. We have the original boys. The original boys are back in town with uh, with Dad, the, Jeff, and myself. The, the original wise guys. Yeah, the, the original. That's right, the original wise guys. Well, so, I guess, the, so the NASDAQ at this rate will be up, uh, what, 120-something <laughs> percent this year. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the yeah. S&P 500, about 72% annualized. I don't think that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think that Dow, what, that's going to be over North 25 <laughs> Yeah, I don't so, think that's going to happen either. So why are we having this much buying right now in this month? Well, we had this conversation on last weekend's show where we were ha- having the same conversation. We could be seeing some rebalancing that's taking place in portfolios. Uh, obviously. Tax loss harvesting There's that happened at the end of 2022, cash sitting on the sidelines, institutional professional investors too under-allocated to the stock market, wanting to just get their portfolios set in January, anticipating that this is going to be a positive year, although it might not be happening to the second half of the year. And so it's more for these longer-term buying holders or getting their positions put in. And and I know, we're, you know where you're going with this, Dad, because – as you know, looking at the technicals, we're still continuously seeing lighter volume, particularly in the S&P 500, which tells me it's not an exorbitant amount of new long buying coming in. No, it's not, other than the NASDAQ. 
Now, Other in the than NASDAQ, the NASDAQ, that's the correct. NASDAQ, you are seeing new buying. So I find that very Above interesting. Average. Yes, because next week really is the big week for the old fang stocks. And, you know, they're the ones that's been laying all people really for the first time almost in, in their history. I know Apple would have laid people back off in the 80s when it, long before it was a, you know, a cell phone company. But uh, it, it's really, as you sit here from the outside looking in like I do, someone who looks at the bond market every day much more so than I follow the stock market. And, you know, I'm still able to go out two or three years and get 5%, which <laughs> I haven't been able to do since I retired. And really, we haven't been able to do for our clients since the early part of the century. So you go 5%. Uh, I, and, and granted, this is a, you know, it was in a Wells Fargo bond, the matures, you know, in three years. But, I mean, that seems pretty good to me. I Given the kind of markets we have and the fact that, you know, hopefully there'll be a new administration in 25, uh, you would think, you know, you would think the backdrop in the world would get a little less tense versus where it is right now. But uh, I sit there and I look at that, and like you say, annualized on the NASDAQ, it's like, who is buying here? Why would you well, be making this type of commitment here well, knowing no, I mean, other than the fact that this is money coming in and other than the fact that maybe you haven't met with the clients that got the results for last year to find out, hey, you guys, y'all didn't have a very good year. And I'm talking about us. I'm talking about managers in general. Well, you know, the NASDAQ being the, 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 the major index that was hit the hardest last year. Yes. And, and if you believe that we're not going to have two back-to-back negative years in the market, in the broader markets, which has happened before in the past, but it's been very well, rare. It's, it's, not a bet you would make, it's not a bet you'd make in Vegas. Yeah, as far as having two back-to-back negative years. Yes, we know two back-to-back negative years. And we know that the Fed is late in the ninth inning as far as interest rate increases, so we can finally get to the terminal rate, so we can start getting everything repriced. And now as we're getting earnings that have been coming out of the fourth quarter haven't been as dire, and we have seen some forward guidance that's been dialed back, but we're not seeing these these whether it's a tech company whether it's it's an old industrial company even if they're giving some lowered forward guidance they're not getting bludgeoned down 10 15 20% like we saw last year so i would say that seeing the performance of these stocks after the earnings have been coming out even with the ceo lowering the bar it's telling me that a lot of this negativity has been priced in and i know that there's this big discussion going back and forth in the financial entertainment press, you know, how much of a recession has been priced into the market already? Has a recession been priced in at all? A deep, dark recession definitely hasn't been priced in. All of this kind of hand-wringing that's taking place on a daily basis in the financial entertainment press, and based on the first reading of fourth quarter GDP coming in at 2.9% positive, we're not, we're not in a recession yet. And you know, this should be the yet. quarter where we start to see uh, the infrastructure bill. I'm forgetting what they called it. Uh, where build this money better. starts. Yeah, build back better. It's, it should be hitting the economy, start hitting the economy this quarter, right? You're, you're throwing a curveball. Yeah, I really don't know. You're throwing the curveball well, I mean, on that one. I, I mean, I thought this was the earliest it could show up would be in the first quarter of 23. 
and that, know, that might be, and that might and that might be the case you know but 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 regardless is we're still seeing positive gdp and and i was going to just talk real quickly before we take our first commercial break about some of the tech layoffs our listeners have to understand that these big tech companies since 2019 majority of them have doubled the amount of employees they've had since 2019. So if Microsoft is laying off 15,000, that's not a huge percentage of the ramp up of employees they've had since 2019. Same thing with Amazon, same thing with Google. So these layoffs are, are being absorbed by the marketplace. I'd say the stock market a little bit better because they have grown so much in employee base since 2019. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So continuing to recap Wall Street from this past week, you know, very nice, solid week on Wall Street as we were talking going into the break. You know, when I look at the S&P 500 technically, we're just not seeing kind of this new above average buying, which is just telling us that we're not seeing kind of new long investors coming into the market. But the NASDAQ is kind of the outlier because we have been seeing some consistent buying above the daily moving average as far as volume is concerned. And with the NASDAQ uh, above its 200-day moving average and 50-day you know, is still well below. We have not seen the Golden Cross and the NASDAQ where the 50-day moving average crosses above the 200-day. But Definitely the last, you know, week and a half or so, we're definitely seeing some net new long buying coming in. But I know, Dad, you posed that question, you know, where's this buying come from? And I don't know, Jeff, if you wanted to add a little bit to that because you were talking about it during the commercial break. Well, I just want to say one thing about the NASDAQ. On Friday, NASDAQ closed for the first time above its 200-day line. You've got to go all the way back to – mid-January of last year, the last time it closed above its 200-day moving average. Is that statistically significant? Well, it it touched the 200-day average two other times last year in April and in uh, August, only to have the rally fail and go to uh, new lows. Now, does that mean it's going to do this again this time? I don't know. We're, We're in rare territory when it comes to counter rallies in a bear market. And there was a, a statistic that I get from this service. And in the 14 prior bear markets after World War II, this being the one we're in right now, the 14th one, there's only been one other bear market, which was during the financial crisis, where the market had 10% or higher than 10% three different counter rallies. It went up by more than 10% during that bear market on three separate occasions. That's only happened one other time. Now, 
all the S&P 500 has to do is go up another 70 points, and that would make four greater than 10% counter rallies in this bear market. That hasn't happened um, in the 14 bear markets since World War II. So incredibly rare. Now, what does that mean? Well, it is perplexing, as Dad said (laughs) during our break. When it comes to trying to figure out how how are you you know allocating uh, investments because we had a a statistic this week that has been right a hundred percent of the time and has got even worse and that's the number of months leading economic indicators have been negative. It's now ten straight months that the index of leading economic indicators has been negative and that has always let always been a precursor to a recession. Now, Kyle correctly said yes jeff but it doesn't have to be a deep recession it could be a very shallow one it it it, it could be a negative be, tenth of one it may not be the deep dark awful you know recessions that we've had of the past and that is all very true we actually had a recession last year did it really feel like we were in one well i mean the stock market wasn't doing very well but it did did it were there a lot of uh tech uh, layoffs being announced last year? No. no. So that's all been happening here in the fourth quarter of 2022 and here in the first quarter of 23. Um, it is, you know, for, for us as managers of money, we have been adding, uh, you know, very incrementally uh, increasing our asset allocations to stocks uh, because it does, it's not possible that the NASDAQ is going to be up over a hundred percent this year. So you have one to, thing that you have to assume that this 11% gain in one month, and I was, we still have three trading days left if my memory serves me correctly. But one if, thing that I saw, if, I'm sorry, but if, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not realistic to expect that the NASDAQ to continue going up at this pace, nor do I think the S and P will continue going this pace, nor the, nor the Dow going up at this pace. So that to me, there has to be a uh, cooling of this run um, because we're not out of the woods. We still have a fed that's not on our side. I, I know you, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Kyle, but we had a lot of earnings this week. Did it really improve the statistics that we talked about on the earnings that came out in the uh, two weeks ago? Well, I mean, just looking at the earnings scorecard, so, so far for the fourth quarter of 2022, 29% of the S&P 500 companies have reported their results. 69% of that 29% of the companies have reported positive EPS or earnings per share surprises, and 60% of the S&P 500 companies have reported a positive revenue surprise. So it's it hasn't been horrendous as far as the fourth quarter earnings are concerned. Now, when we talk about earnings growth, here's where things get a little more dicey. So for the fourth quarter 2022 earnings, the blended earnings decline for the S&P 500 is a negative 5%. And if the 5% decline is the actual winds up being the final decline for the S&P 500 for the fourth quarter of 2022 this will be this will mark the first time the index has reported a year over year decline in earnings since the third quarter of 2020 at a negative 5.7 so we're not too far off the earnings decline pace 
from post-COVID, right after you know yeah. we were well, still kind were, of in lockdowns. What were, what were interest rates in the third quarter of 2020? Zero. <laughs> so they were zero. Now, looking at earnings revisions, um, the estimate, the estimated earnings decline for the fourth quarter of 2022 was a negative 3.2%. Seven sectors are reporting lower earnings today due to downward revisions of EPS estimates and negative EPS or earnings per share surprises. So, you know, so far, 17 companies of the S&P 500 have issued negative earnings per share guidance, and only two companies of the S&P that have reported so far have reported positive EPS guidance. And, I mean, that really shouldn't be a surprise when you have the kind of conditions we're in right now with the Fed still not done raising interest rates. As a CEO, you've got plenty of cover to lower your bar. And, and so – you want to keep your bar as low as possible so you can hop over it, not having to high jump it. So that shouldn't be a huge surprise. But what we've seen so far, the earnings that have come out, we haven't seen these big down 15, down 17, down 20%, you know, gap trades down after their earnings have been released for the fourth quarter of 2022 this month. We're just not seeing that, which leads me to believe that a lot of this negativity has already been baked in to the price of the shares. I mean, that's true, well, but we're, we're still seeing fives and six and sevens, which is still we, pretty, we, pretty substantial we, decline. We are, but there's still, for long-term investors, there's so many great buying opportunities, but if you're going to be diving in a whole hog here, you have to have the intestinal fortitude because, like you said, Jeff, we're not out of the woods. We're not out of the woods. So if you are a long-term investor and can handle it emotionally, yeah, there's some great pickups here. There are some great buys here because the Fed is deep in the ninth inning of raising rates. And we were talking about this before the show. We could see the Fed come out on Wednesday, February 1st, and say, you know what? We're just going to do a half of 1% and we're done because the Bank of Canada this past week did did a interest rate increase and said, we're done. We're now going to hold and circle the field. So it could be possible that we see the Fed just finally rip the final Band-Aid off, do a half of 1% and be done. I, I don't see how they can do that, Kyle, because with the GDP numbers that we're seeing and what we're seeing with the, what the market's doing, I don't see how the Fed can do anything but be even more hardline. And, and the funny thing you're is we're talking right about up to what stopping, you're, you're talking about as far yes, as stopping. I, I don't see any way they can well, stop. They, they would look as silly stopping now as they did holding, not raising all those years they didn't raise. They'll look just as ridiculous on the other side. Uh, I, I and I think probably what Dad's saying is the S&P up 6%, the NASDAQ up 11% is not necessarily what they want to see. And, no, that's not the, what they want to see. And the fact that we have long maturity yields down. For the yes, years. despite their raising rates. I'm getting less returns in my bonds than I was earlier. I'm finding some. The funny thing I noticed, you can get a three-year bank bond 80 basis points over treasury well i'm going to take a wells fargo or bank of america and take the three quarters of a percent over treasury guys if i only have to go out two three years i don't think banks are going out of business in the next three years that's a lot different than it was earlier 80 basis points that's quite a bit that's eight tenths of one percent for our home yes that's that that's definitely worth taking i'll take that risk so 
you know, and, so, it, and, and some and, so, and some people will take that it's risk. Perplexing. It, it is definitely perplexing. So let's hold that perplexing conversation for after the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Moneywise program, as we're going into the commercial break, we're talking about Dad's favorite subject, and that's the Federal Reserve. And they've got the Fed decision, <laughs> the next Fed decision on February the 1st. That's good. See, Dad, look at this. When you're on the show, I get to pull yeah, it out of you gonna, to talk more about get the it. Fed. You get a T-shirt I mean, I, that says Federal Reserve with a slash through it, you know. Well, no, I, I know, Dad, I know yeah. Dad's got a vomit bucket next to his chair oh in his office. So after he's done talking and during commercial break, he can throw up. Yes, he's, uh, he says there's the only two people that talk about the Federal Reserve. That's CNBC and us. And us. Yeah. But, but, it, but, but they're important because last year they were what was driving the market. Now, this year it's a little bit more on earnings and less about the Fed because they've, they're slowly taking themselves out of the picture. But they have a decision on February the 1st, which is Wednesday of this coming week. They're going to have to be tough. No, I know. They got I totally, to be tough. And Jeff and I were talking about this earlier on Friday because I've been saying this on the show that they lost face during that whole transitory issue. And so now they have to tough talk the market down. And with the way that the, the market has started so far this year, you annualize these numbers out. It's astronomical returns to the upside. They're going to be talking tough. And so the question is, could we see a 50 basis point increase? Because Coming into the beginning of this year, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. They're going to be raising a half of 1% or 50 basis points on February the 1st. Now, as we've gotten further along in the month of January, most of the talk is about a 25 basis point or a quarter of 1% increase. So if they come with a 50 or half a 1% increase on Wednesday, is here where we're going to start seeing some profit taking and possibly pushing the market, the S&P 500, below the 200-day possibly below the 50-day, because when you look at the different bands, the resistance for the S&P 500 is right at 4,100, and the support level is at 3,765. That's kind of the trading range, the band from support and resistance for the market. And so I I agree with you, Dad. I think they're going to tough talk come Wednesday. They're definitely not going to sound dovish. I will not be surprised at all if they do 50 basis points or half a 1% increase, which Jeremy Siegel on Friday said would be well, a shock to the market. And why would this be any surprise? I mean, the, the, point of I mean view, the point of view has only changed over the last three weeks of them going from a half of 1% increase to a quarter of a percent increase. Chairman Powell is like he's up on the stage at the Oscars, and Will Smith has just got up, and he's walking towards <laughs> – Chris Rock, and he's getting, and, and, and the chairman of the Federal Reserve is getting ready to get slapped by the market, just slapped him. He's got to be, there's no way, I mean, he's got to go 50. 
I mean, what is he going to do? He's, he looks foolish for thinking he's talking down the market. And you just told me the NASDAQ is up 121% annualized. Yeah. If we annualize this and number. And the S&P so is up 72%. Oh, yeah. please get I, – I wish the Fed was this tough when I was a broker. I could have sure made a lot more money. <laughs> I'd sure be a lot wealthier. But they weren't this, you know, they weren't like this in the early 80s and the 70s when I was wrestling. Well, well no, so, Dad. Oh, man, you're so tough. Be tough some more. Well, well, well here's Give the me thing. Some toughness. One, one of the great lines from Alan Greenspan is is he's quoted saying, if you if you know what I'm thinking. Was he in the tub when he no, was saying this? Hold on. Alan Greenspan, a famous quote, he's like, if you know what I'm thinking, I'm talking too much. <laughs> That that was a famous check my quote. briefcase. Yeah, that right? was a check that, his briefcase. I, yeah, was, I remember we the, used to do that. That was a famous quote from Alan Greenspan. So yes, the Fed is much more communicative as prior Feds, particularly Alan Greenspan. But the bottom line remember, is, remember he did his best work in a bathtub with a yellow yeah, with the yellow duck. We, we've heard, know, we've heard those Andrea stories. Mitchell bringing him ivory soap. That was yeah. his best work. So. So I, I think about so that Wednesday. I, I, I want to kind of dad this today. I was thinking there just for a moment, how many times in our 30 plus year career managing money under Davidson capital, have we had to deal with having this constant, having to th- try to figure out what the federal reserve was going to do and how that was going to affect our portfolios. It just seems like, man, just, just when you thought you didn't have to deal with them, and here they are again. They bring you they back bring in. You back in. You again. It's like Godfather. <laughs> and, I, and I'm longing for the day when we could just stop talking about it, you know, yes. but but we can't. No, I agree. A, but I'm just can't. saying we can't. He has to be and tough. It is, and it is, it is driving the decision-making process, especially at our firm. Now, granted, does it drive the process at the uh, – Computer-generated Monte Carlo analysis, quarterly no. rebalance, uh, not that, do anything firm. No, they increased. No. I'm sure they increased their gold comment. These are the people content. that are buying. These are the people that have yeah. probably been, been been doing all this buying. Now, granted, we've done a little bit of incremental buying here and there. We we added that emerging markets investment uh, two weeks ago. We may add to it here uh, in, in the weeks to come. And we've bought a little bit in a couple of stocks, and we bought some government bonds, and we're going to be buying more government bonds, and we're going to be buying some corporate bonds here by the you know, by the end of the quarter. We'll probably have our the bond portion of the portfolio uh, fully built out. But in the meantime, uh, we're getting very nice yields in in money market funds, and they may get even nicer. Next oh, they're going to get and nicer. If dad's, and if Dad's right, and we go fifty basis points, we're going to be pushing nearly five percent in money market funds. And I'll tell you what. So, I'll tell you. I want to tell you a little story here, real quick. You know who's who's been making out like a bandit? You've know, been talking about the the oil companies this week. How about the banks? Yes, about, they should be about, doing very well. How about the spread? The banks are making on their CDs versus what you can get in buying the instruments yourself. I mean, that's why I, well, how I, about was, talking, I was talking to a client this week who said, hey, you know, I went over to you know, the, my CD was coming due and I went over to the bank and they were just twisting my arm so hard to lock in like two years for just over 3%. And it's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? 
Really? I, I've had this conversation with other clients. Oh, as well. yeah, I said, are you kidding? I mean, you could you could take that money out and put it in this uh, money market fund, and I gave him the symbol, and you make four and a quarter. Well, Wells Fargo bond is paying you five. Well, you loan them money, they'll pay you five. I mean, why would you give it to them for three? Well, being a money market fund, you being a money market fund that price that's in the shortest instruments out there, the most liquid instruments out there, and you and by next week, by the next time we have this show, we may be pushing five percent. Now, when was the last time we got five percent? Nearly five percent in money market fund debt. You got to go back to the beginning of this century. Yeah. For those kind of yields, and so, so, and so that's that's real competition for stocks. Yes, with with the, with yields at that level, and so so I, I, I we find have it a hard great to believe. Month and you go, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't, I'm I'm not a buyer. I, I'm not really believing what what I'm seeing that this is a long that this is anything more than a trade and not a trend. Well, we like I was this. saying, we didn't talk about on the show. Uh, Tesla up twenty five percent for the month of January. Tesla, it's a trading vehicle. I mean, it, selling the new dinosaur. I mean, this if right. there was a dinosaur, Tesla is in the dinosaur business, selling electric cars. Now, there's you a dinosaur. It's kind of like the hula hoop. They're the hula hoop manufacturer. They're whammo. Whatever happened to whammo? Right. That's who Tesla is. The modern day whammo. Well, I mean, I, what a deal. Well, and, and up 25% for a month. Well, and also because they cut prices. I mean, I feel bad for anyone that owns <laughs> a Model Y or or a Model 3 from Tesla because they lowered their prices a couple weeks ago. Where anyone that has a, a Tesla they're driving right now and want to trade it in, yeah, take about 25% of its value right off the top because they lowered the prices on their most expensive Model Y and Model 3s by 19.6% new from the factory and that's so they can lower the price to get the tax credit at seventy five hundred dollars from uncle sam and for all so from, from, from all of us taxpayers some of this land that's not doesn't have any oil on it for future funerals for tesla cars you know start to get, go, go get some cemetery plots so they can bury electric cars yeah. they're gonna have to be buried well, i think there's a business there well that, i mean that's what they do in france and here's something else dad do you yeah think we're gonna have to do it here somewhere in the west we're gonna be by we're gonna be burying all these teslas well here's something all else these electric cars here's something else the business. here's something else that the ev manufacturers aren't telling you is that you have to drive <laughs> an ev sixty thousand miles before you're actually making a net positive gain to Mother Earth. I don't know too <laughs> many just people. Crazy. It's nuts. 60,000, not 6,000, not 10,000. You have to drive an EV 60,000 miles. And mile number one after, 60,000 and one mile, that first mile, you're doing something good for Mother Earth because of all the CO2 that's pumped in the atmosphere from the manufacturing of the minerals, the manufacturing of all the parts, putting it all together. Let's not forget that you actually have to charge these things from electricity, and electricity is primarily powered from hydrocarbons. Imagine that. I, I just... But, of course, of course, the EV coalition isn't going to be telling you this. And this, and these are facts. I'm not just pulling this up out of the air. It's nuts. It's just crazy nuts. Well, but like we've always said on this program, it's all about a proper balance. We can't go from gas power to EVs tomorrow. Yeah, we can slowly transition. Not ever. And, not and, ever. Well, yeah, someone like me as a gearhead, I have an old saying, there's no replacement for displacement. And let's take a next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this.
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you know, as we were coming into the bottom, uh, as we were ending this last segment before we went to commercial break, you know, talking about the Fed, the portfolio, our portfolios, our strategy, how far the markets have run up so far. And, Jeff, you made the comment that this feels a little bit more like a trade. And when you annualize the numbers of what we've done so far the first weeks, first three weeks of January, uh, I, I wouldn't say you're necessarily too far off base with this being a trade because the Fed is still not done raising interest rates. We know they have a rate increase coming Wednesday. The magnitude of that increase, we don't know. I'm I'm actually personally leaning a little bit more into dad's camp where I think we could go a half of 1% because they do have to save face from their transitory misstep uh, back in But I wouldn't have been there last week. That's changed. A week ago, I'd have said 25 is it just because the primary, because of the run in the market? Because of markets, yeah, just he's got to so talk. Well. It, he's got to talk it down. And I know Jeff, you and Somehow. I, have, I know you and I were having that conversation on Friday that with this kind of run, it seems like they're going to have to, t- you know, talk tougher to try to talk the market down. And so for all of our for all of our listeners, you know, in your portfolio, and we talked about this on past shows this this month, is that you've got to be real careful in here. You've got to walk very deliberately. You have to be very patient. I know one of Jeff's favorite sayings in all of our strategy conversations is, you know, I'm not scared of the market running away from us right here in January. And and I would agree with him. And we have been slowly, incrementally adding to some equity positions in the portfolio. We have added our first step into an emerging market uh, exchange-traded fund across all of our client accounts. We still have the fixed income portfolio to completely build out, which we're definitely, you know, close to halfway to having that done. And we'll have it done before the end of the first quarter. But you just have to be patient in and around here. You know, earnings have not been as, I wouldn't say earnings have been okay. Yes, we've seen the earnings decline uh, of negative 5%, but we got GDP numbers. Uh, for the first, you know, first reading of fourth quarter GDP up 2.9%. We also got the core PCE number, which came out um, this past week. And what it showed is the core PCE, which originally was the inflation, the inflation data point that the Federal Reserve would use to make interest rate decisions. They made that shift to more of the consumer price index CPI sometime middle part of last year because that's what we mainly feel as consumers is the consumer price index. But looking at the core PCE at 4.42% for the month of December, you have to go all the way back to October of 2021 to have a core PCE at that level. So inflation has peaked. It's coming down. But is it coming down fast enough for the Fed? You know, that's well, the $64,000 question. 
Yeah, except for leading economic indicators, all the all the last week's economic st- statistics were positive, which may have contributed to the gains last week. Because I believe Monday, when leading economic indicators came out, was the only neg was I think it may have been the only negative day last week. I, I do know that Monday was was negative, and I think it was probably may have been uh, some of it had to do with the leading economic indicators uh, statistic. But to me, this. The the whole thing just reeks of a buy the rumor, sell the news type type thing. Uh, there's, but there was a lot of pessimism in the market. We can all, I think, we can all agree there was a lot of pessimism in the market last quarter. Now there seems to be uh, a lot more optimism. But do the statistics really? show that we should be uh, up as much as we are based on these statistics that have been released this month and, you know, earnings and everything else taken in totality, and I just don't see it. And so from an earnings growth standpoint, absolutely not. Yeah. So with all that, you have to say, okay, this is some sort of rebalancing, short covering uh, rally that, that you really can't hang your hats on. And it's, it's like the, the, the other 10% counter rallies that the three previous ones that we had last year, this kind of looks like it might be number four. I, I just don't. Well, if you had that volume, if you had that volume above mm-hmm. average, like you got on the NASDAQ and the S and P, it would be totally different. Correct. And when you don't see that volume there, you know, there were some great technicians in the past that would talk about, if you don't have volume with the market, you don't got it. It's it's a mirage. It's not going to last. You've got to have, you've got to have broad buying, and we're not getting that. No, and let me just can, can you, you and let me just add to that, Dad. Just on Friday alone, volume of the S and P five hundred was twenty two percent below average. That's just just, just one day. You know, All I mean, week it's been below be average. Up, I mean, you, you, it's like you've run out of sellers. You know, you, everybody that sold is there, and they don't want to sell. So the people that wanted to sell are there. So the only activity you have is buying, and now you've got the situation. I mean, is it a buyer strike? First, Dad, you know, let me ask you: Is, you know, this, is this a buyer strike? Do you think this a, a little bit of a, No, it's a no. It's kind of a buyer strike. It's the sellers have sold. Now it's kind yeah, of a buying I, I, strike with this lower volume. I mean, you, you think we're five minutes into the first quarter of this football game, and the geopolitical risks are higher. The Fed seems in less control than we started the year. And politically, it it very much looks like it's just investigations, and that's all we're going to see. And so nothing to me is more positive than we began the year other than the fact that the market's up. That's what, you know, and it perplexes old salt like me to say, hmm, my allocation of stock is too low. But now it's annualized 121%. I can't buy up here. You know, I got to hear what the Fed's going to say. So we're going to hear what they have to say. If they don't get the reaction of the down market next week, <laughs> it'll be very interesting what they're going to do now because they're already quantitative, what's it called? Tightening. Where they're taking tightening. Money, quantitative tightening. tightening. So they're, they're still doing that. And they're, and, they're, and they're trying to talk the market down. And guess what? We've had probably one of the best Januaries had in recent years, mm-hmm. right? I would say for the Nasdaq, since I can remember being up eleven percent, and we still have two trading days left. I mean, a stealth bull market. 
Well, but but again, this is why this is why I talk about volume on this program is again it kind of gives you a technical inside view if we have some new long buying coming in and the volume, like you said, Dad, it's just not there. It's still not there in the Nasdaq. Yes, you know the Dow. No, S&P, there's been no, no crypto collapse of the other cryptocurrencies. No. They haven't collapsed along with uh, Mr. Freed. No, that's right. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Next week is definitely going to be heavy on news, so don't forget to tune in to Money Wise for next weekend where we'll disseminate everything that comes out of the Federal Reserve on their Wednesday meeting, February 1st. Um, so you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Now, if you missed the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. So in our second hour of this weekend's program, again, like to use the second hour to go into investor education. And the topic for this second hour is really a topic that needs to be on an on a rotation each and every month because it is such a critical topic for investors all across the country to learn, understand, and realize when it comes to the point of them selecting an investment professional to work with and what they need to be looking for and how they can research and find out the background and education levels and licensing levels of the investment professional that they're planning on working with. Now, a topic that we have discussed on past Money Wise programs, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years. I think from the beginning of the show. Well, I know that we've talked about this particular subject, again, the differences between a broker, a stockbroker, and a registered investment advisor, but in particular the the research and analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing when it comes down to the fiduciary standard. Uh, and later on in this hour, I'm going to go into the definition of the fiduciary standard and what stockbrokers, what laws and directions they have to follow working with their clients and what 
what laws and rules and regulations that registered investment advisors like us here at Davidson Capital Management have to follow, and in particular revolving around this fiduciary standard, because this has been a topic that has been discussed at length really post-financial crisis. Um, And the Dodd-Frank Act, which took effect in 2010, put in uh, an actual an actual law that goes into the ability of the Securities and Exchange Commission to create a uniform fiduciary standard, which has yet to actually take place uh, across the financial service industry. And an article that came out of the Wall Street Journal this past week uh, titled SEC uh, Head Backs Fiduciary Standards for Brokers and Advisors Again, goes into Mary Jo White, who's the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, you know, really wanting tighter standards uh, for financial advisors who recommend stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to individual investors. And for any longtime listener to this program, they understand that your traditional stockbroker is on the financial sales side of the financial service industry, where registered investment advisors like us at Davidson Capital Management are on the asset management side of the industry. Well, let me say something right here, Kyle. The word advisor, I think, confuses the man in the street. In the old days, when I was a broker, we were either a broker or a registered representative. Advisors, financial advisors or investment advisors, by definition, we're registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. What has happened is the word registered representative or broker has been dropped by Wall Street, and they have picked up various terms which they really like to use, whether it's a wealth manager or a they like financial to use advisor. financial advisor, but they obviously don't say registered financial advisor because they wouldn't be working for a brokerage firm or registered few. investment advisor. So, so, so you the word advisor confuses the investor in the street. It it, it does, and a, again, I don't. I mean, I, I would hate to say that this is just strictly marketing, but it really comes down it is to marketing. marketing. It it does come down to marketing, and it's to convey the idea to a potential to a prospective client that the powers and abilities of that investment professional are above and beyond what they actually legally can do or what they normally do do with you know when it comes to working with their clients and you know last month the labor department is planning its own set of rules to tighten standards on financial professionals who advise on retirement account investments such as 401ks and of course and, president yes, obama, president obama has endorsed these these we haven't had a president get involved and 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 so he came out several months back talking about wanting to have these new standards and and you know really the Department of Labor is going and saying well hey we're putting in these new standards Securities and Exchange Commission why don't you put these standards in as well and Mary Jo White the head of the SEC makes it very clear that you know we're two different regulatory agencies and that we have our own processes and procedures that we have to go through in order to put this into place, but that she had had stated that she has been intensely studying this fiduciary standard regulations and what exactly the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do. Now, the fact that she's been intensely studying this for just the last few months, I feel like we've been talking about this for years, so why is it just being... 
intensely studied over just the last couple of months. Well, maybe before we put our listeners totally to sleep using these fiduciary words and whatnot, why not give an example of why this should be something our listeners should be listening to? Well, I'm going to have to get to that example after we come back from the commercial break because the the, the story the no, you didn't check the clock. The 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 real world example I'm going to give, and and it really could apply to some of our a lot of our listeners that are listening right now of what you might run into when it comes to that point in time where you're ready to hop on that horse and ride off into the retirement sunset and you start going out and interviewing investment professionals that you might be planning or, or looking to work with. And as we've always advocated on this show, don't get caught behind the eight ball when it comes time to prepare and plan for your retirement as far as the investment professional that you're going to work with. You need to start the interview process six to eight months out, even 12 months out, just so you get all of your ducks in a row because the last thing we would want to see happen, and we've seen this time and time again talking and working with prospective clients coming into Davidson Capital Management, is that they waited to the last minute, they got thrown a sales pitch at them, that sounded so good to be true, too good to be true, but they signed on that dotted line and wound up getting involved in something that they wound up later regretting because they didn't do their proper due diligence uh, and doing the research it, it's re- research that's required before you hire an investment professional. So when we come back from the commercial break, I'll give you an example of going into the differences between suitability and fiduciary standard, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education, um, and again, I, I know we were talking during commercial break that some of this subject matter might be seen dry and boring, but this hour is so critical for any investor to listen and to learn from to protect themselves, to protect the retirement nest egg that they have worked 30, 35, 40, 45 years to build to not get taken by potentially unscrupulous investment professionals that are looking to make a very large and quick buck and big commission and to understand the rules and regulations that folks follow in the financial service industry and how they vary so greatly between that of your traditional stockbroker versus a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. So I wanted to give you a real-world example, and this comes from one of our clients, this real-world example. Um, Several years ago, we had met, I mean, several, I mean, we're talking six, seven years ago, met with a prospective client who was going to be retiring and had, excuse me, had already retired, had purchased an annuity, very sizable annuity, 
and the annuity was getting ready to be outside of its surrender penalty period. And they were looking to do something else with it. So they met with us, gave them you know, the, whole, the whole spiel, uh, the whole presentation as we do with any prospective client after we did a, a portfolio review and analysis for this prospective client. And I remember distinctly remembering in the meeting, I, I told him, whatever you do, whether you hire us or you hire somebody else, do not buy another annuity. And he said, gotcha, got it, understand. So this prospective client goes, leaves our office, follow up with them, don't hear back from them. About 16 months later, we get a phone call, and it was this prospective client. And he said, I need to come in and talk to you. Okay, comes in. Before I even round my desk, he says, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm like, sure, why are you here? He said, well, I should have listened to your advice, and I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look. And he hands me his paperwork, and what he had bought was another annuity, a variable annuity. And I asked him why. You know, give me the background as to what you did. He said, I called two stockbrokers in New York City. I called two stockbrokers in the state of Florida. I called a stockbroker in San Antonio, Texas. And all five of these stockbrokers all recommended an annuity to me. And he said, after talking to all five of these different brokers at different offices at different firms in different states, he thought to himself, well, if all five of these brokers are recommending annuity, then this is the direction that I need to go. This is what I should be buying because these five folks don't know each other from Adam, and they don't even work for the same firms, but that's what they're recommending. And, of course, when I relayed to the prospective client who then became a client that the reason why they were recommending it is because it pays the highest commission on Wall Street and explained to him round about the six-figure commission that was paid to these brokers, I just about saw his jaw hit the floor. Well, he wanted a guaranteed stream of income. That is what he wanted. It was important to him to have a monthly check. So when he went to these brokers and said, I want a guaranteed stream of income that I know it's coming in, well, the brokers basically have two choices, both of which are suitable for him. Choice number one is an annuity. Whichever insurance company that brokerage firm uses, they will select that annuity. That annuity will pay the most generous commission there is for a broker on Wall Street today, as far as we know. The other choice to provide guaranteed income is a government bond. In fact, it's the only investment, not the annuity, that can truly say, say it provides a guaranteed stream of income. The only difference being the income can vary because government bond rates will vary with maturities. For the broker, however, the commission on the same portfolio is about 98 99% less than what he would be getting personally in the annuity. That is why five different brokers from five different firms in four different states all had the same example. They were both suitable investments, and the broker only has to do what is suitable. And that is the whole point of this second hour is to 
relay real-world examples of the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And just to kind of go into that, you know, what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone that manages money for the benefit of, of another called a beneficiary. A fiduciary is bound by law to place the interest of its beneficiary first before the fiduciary's own interest. Now, stockbrokers, also called registered representatives, account executives, financial advisors, wealth managers, are not fiduciaries. Even though they have engaged in high visibility advertising to portray themselves as full service investment advisors, it's real easy. Ask your stockbroker if he or she holds a Series 7 securities license. If he or she does, then it's, it's probable that they aren't a fiduciary. And you have to understand, a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management are subject to the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, which makes us a fiduciary. Okay? And it's so, so important. I mean, we cannot stress this enough to understand the difference. In the same example, a choice for us between an annuity and a portfolio of government bonds As a fiduciary, we have to go with the government bonds because that is what is best for the client, not what is suitable, what is best as a fiduciary. And a non-fiduciary stockbroker follows only the suitability standard, which doesn't require a stockbroker to place the interest of their client ahead of their own. Under the non-fiduciary suitability standard, a stockbroker need provide only suitable advice to it, to their clients, even if the stockbroker knows that the advice is not in the client's best interest. A non-fiduciary stockbroker, you know, bottom line, they have a fiduciary duty to their broker-dealer, to who employs them. That is who they have a fiduciary duty to, not their client. And it, I, I can tell you, Dad, when I sit down with prospective clients and I tell them that financial salespeople, stockbrokers, are not required by law to put their interest in front of their own, it blows their mind. But what's, a, what's unfortunate is that individual investors don't understand that there is a difference between what registered investment advisors do, what we do here, versus what a broker does. It was the manager at Bayesian Company that I worked for as a manager that led me to become a registered investment advisor. That you worked as a broker for. Yes, I worked as a broker for them. One day I was analyzing the bond market. I was sitting at my desk looking at this chart, that chart, and he came up to me and said, John, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm trying to figure out what the long bond's doing. And he said, we don't pay you to be an analyst. We pay you to sell securities. We're not in the business of analyzing markets, managing money. We're in the business of selling securities. The light went on in my head, and from that day forward, I chose the path of becoming a registered investment advisor. And it all went back to the manager at a brokerage firm and a young broker trying to understand and help his clients. And a registered investment advisor must follow the trust standard, and it's the highest known in law, which requires an RIA, a registered investment advisor, to place the interest of their client ahead of their own to fulfill the critical fiduciary duties of trust and confidence. 
So again, that's that trust standard versus the suitability standard. And this is why when you go to the big name brand broker dealers, I mean, you can list them off. There's commercials all over the place, all over television, radio, the computer for these for these firms. You know, you have to understand they're in the job of asset collection, asset harvesting to sell investment products. And it's also important when we come back from the bottom of the hour break to, to go into a lot of the proprietary relationships that are in place with your traditional broker-dealers and mutual fund families and other investment product providers to understand. And really, I think what also led a lot of investors to, to have received advice during the financial crisis of staying the course and why that advice came so much so from your traditional broker-dealer or stock brokerage-type firms. And so we'll get into that when we come back from the, from the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing discussing that critical difference between your traditional stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, um, I wanted to talk briefly about the proprietary relationships that brokerage firms have. Now, prior to joining Davidson Capital Management, I spent a few years uh, as a mutual fund wholesaler where my clients as a mutual fund wholesaler were stockbrokers. I sold my company's loaded mutual funds to brokers in the state of Texas because that was part of my territory in the state of Texas. And it's important for investors to understand of these relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms. Um, and every single mutual fund family, you're going to have a mutual fund family that has some great mutual funds, some decent to average mutual funds, and some not so good mutual funds. Dogs. Dogs. Poor performing mutual funds. But a lot of these brokerage offices have very limited shelf space of the mutual fund families that they want really prominently displayed in the office. And sometimes in order to get shelf space, there are marketing fees that are paid and things of that nature. Now, again, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s when I did the, you know, when I was a mutual fund wholesaler. Um, it's important to understand that a mutual fund wholesaler's job is to gain a relationship with a broker and to educate them about the mutual funds that are being made available by the fund family and sell them on why they need to be selling these funds to the clients. But it's also important for clients to understand that some mutual fund families have revenue-sharing agreements with brokerage firms where the brokerage firm collects a portion of the management fee being charged by the mutual fund family for those clients' assets to be in there. And really the point I'm working towards is getting back to the financial crisis. 
because when we're meeting with prospective clients after the financial crisis, we always, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis, I always ask, well, what was the advice and guidance that you were receiving from your investment professional, from your broker during the financial crisis? And 10 out of 10 times, the advice was stay the course. And they were, the prospective client would question me, you know, why was the advice stay the course? Why wasn't it like, let's get a little more liquid. Let's, let's get some money on the sidelines. Let's get some cash on hand. And I really, and again, in, in, in my 17 years of experience, what my mind leads back to is revenue sharing agreements that brokerage firms have with mutual fund families and other financial product providers that if assets are not in these mutual funds, then there's no revenue to share because there's no management fee being generated by the mutual fund family. So if advice coming from brokers to their clients was let's sell, let's get more liquid, then these brokerage firms could be slicing their own throat and the revenues that they're that, that are being driven that they're being driven off of these mutual fund holdings by their clients at these brokerage firms. So it would have seriously cut into their bottom line if it was let's get out, let's get liquid, because now there's no revenue coming from these outside mutual fund families. And it's important for investors to understand. And I can tell you that when we do portfolio reviews and analysis, and particularly there's certain brokerage firms that have affinity, that have a love for very particular mutual fund families. Well, you can basically name a firm, and we will name without even, look, without even looking at the portfolio, not even seeing the portfolio, we could bet the potential client you own one of these funds. From a particular fund family. Just because we've been doing this, you know, in our 26th year of business, and we've reviewed quite a few portfolios in those 26 years, we see a pattern, we see a trend, and because of my inside intimate knowledge of the relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms, it's no surprise. Now, listeners are probably, you know, y'all are probably hearing this on the radio thinking, well, gosh, how could brokerage firms do this? It's suitable. They're in It's suitable. It's suitable. It's it's suitable. It, it's They're suitable. not violating any rules. They're not violating any laws. That is the whole point of this second hour, is so you understand. There's a great commercial on right now. I love this commercial because it really sums up what we're talking about. And it's these two gentlemen, and he's giving the guidance to the prospective client, and he hands him this giant grain of salt. <laughs> And he hands it to him, and he says, you know, we're going to be in this fund, this fund, this fund. And he says, oh, by the way, I get paid a higher commission and higher trailing fees on this because of our proprietary relationship, you know, with these with these funds. And he said, well, you know, shouldn't that be illegal? And he's kind of like, yeah, I, well, no, not, not really. I mean, he kind of has a look like, well, I guess you got a point, but no, it's not illegal. But I'm going to be making higher higher fees off this proprietary relationship that we have with these fund families. And I love that commercial. It's just started playing, so I'm sure our listeners have seen this commercial. Pay attention to it because that is what we are talking about. Well, you know, there's another commercial that the financial consultants are doing in which they hired a DJ in Dallas 
and they cleaned him up, got rid of his dreadlocks. He's really a nice-looking guy. Well, no, that's talking about financial planners, and I have a whole other bone to pick about financial planners, Yes, but, which I'll get to. But within this, he looks the part. They put him in a he nice office. He sounds the part. They put him in a nice office, you know, glass, uh, everything you would want. He's got the columns. He's got the suit. He's smooth-talking. We, and, and he asked him, would you give me the account? Well, sure we would. And he said, would you like to know what my experience is? And, and I'm a my, DJ. You know, I'm a DJ. And he shows pictures of him, you know, dancing around. So, uh, you know, again, but I think that also comes back to another article, which we're not going to talk about on this weekend show, about just the number of don't, – don't let the number of accolades and awards received by a financial <laughs> professional dazzle you, think, making you think that they have a higher level of expertise or experience and experience than they actually do because again it's all marketing um but you know i will i do want to talk about uh financial planners before we go to the next break because this is something we've also talked about on the show and financial planning has has really become a a really booming industry and there are designations a certified financial planner which is a very difficult designation to get you have to go through a lot of education, a lot of test taking. It is not easy to do. Plus, you have to have industry experience to get the CFP designation. And we're not taking away from that because it's a very prestigious designation. It is. But you have to be very, very careful how this potential financial, how this financial planner is getting compensated because we have seen situations where financial planners are using this financial planning designation as another marketing tool, as a way to sell investment products, as a way to generate commissions. So you have to ask as the prospective client, how are you getting compensated? Are you fee-only? Are you fee-based financial planner? Or are you selling investment products where you're earning a commission and you need to ask those questions and if they're not giving you a straight answer that is when you slowly get up from the table and you walk away you as a prospective client have the right to ask a straight straight up question and get a straight up answer ask them do you have your series seven if they have a series seven pretty good chance they're compensated on commissions and that's when with the whole situation with suitability versus the fiduciary standard. If they say, well, I have my 65, which is to be a, a registered investment advisor representative, without a Series 7 or a Series 6, then they be leaning more on the side of fee only. And, of course, at Davidson Capital Management, we are completely fee only registered investment advisors, which puts us on the same side of the table as our clients because the more money we make for our clients, the more money we make for ourselves, and vice versa. We are not compensated based on commission, and being a registered investment advisor means that we are fiduciaries. We have to follow the trust standard required by law to put our client's interest in front of our own. But you have to understand these differences when you sit down with a financial professional to understand who you're potentially getting involved in and don't let a lot of letters after their name on the card dazzle you into thinking that they have a level of expertise and knowledge that they may or may not have. You have to vet them out yourself. You have to dig deeper. As I have said, going back to 2005 on this radio show, 
And, you know, what we've also talked about on the show is the way that you can look up your investment professional that you're thinking of working with or who you're, or who you are currently working with simply by going to Google, typing in the Google search broker check, and that will take you to the FINRA website. And FINRA is the regulatory body overseeing the really the financial sales arm of the financial service industry. You type in your broker's name and it will go to their report. Now, the one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this, is that we've seen brokers starting to use middle names or different first names to try to get around potential bad reports. I've noticed this, that they make these name changes so you can't track them down as easily, but you still have that tool available as a prospective client to go in and do research on that investment professional to find out if they have any regulatory issues, any customer complaints, what those complaints are involved, to see if they have any personal bankruptcy or personal financial issues, or if they've had any criminal misdemeanor or felony charges in their lifetime. So utilize the tools that are available. Well, we've got to take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to commercial break, again, spending the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program talking about, again, the critical differences between a stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, and, and, and also at the beginning of the hour talking about how the SEC is still in the process of studying to find out whether they're going to hold traditional stockbrokers to the same fiduciary standard as we are held to as a registered investment advisor here at Davidson Capital Management. And I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing saga that's never going to reach a conclusion um, because, again, I think that this would put a serious uh, dampening on revenues at traditional broker-dealer firms across this country. So I'm definitely not holding my breath. The fact that this that this provision or, or the discussion of adding this provision has been around since the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, and we're now in 2015, and the head of the SEC, Mary Jo White, has only been intensely studying it for the last few months, I'm not holding my breath that anything is going to get done. So what you have to do as an investor, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. That's one reason why we have the Money Wise program and why we're in our 10th year of doing it. But you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to be an educated consumer. And before you sign on that line as dotted, you have to utilize all the, the research capabilities that are available on the Internet. And as we went to the last commercial break, talking about utilizing the FINRA website, which is the regulatory body of broker-dealers, of stockbrokers, 
and doing what's called a broker check. By Googling, broker check takes you right to the website. You type in your broker's name, and you pull up their permanent record. I always jokingly <laughs> say, you know, in high the school, yeah, the in, in high school you've got your permanent record. Well, in the financial service industry, whether you're a registered investment advisor like we are, or if you're a or if you're a stockbroker, we all have a permanent record called our U4. And it tracks you throughout your entire career. So if you've had run-ins with client complaints, customer complaints, and what those complaints are, to see that if you've actually gotten sued by a former client and actually had to pay restitution, or if the brokerage firm or firm you worked for had to pay restitution. It talks about if you've had any kind of bankruptcies or personal financial uh, issues that is also reported in the U4 on broker check, or if you've had any misdemeanor or felony charges. And, I mean, I know for a fact, just from doing my own research, that we have an insurance salesman here in town that avoided a potential 10 years in prison on a drug felony charge <laughs> because of illegal search and seizure. I found this on broker check. I found this on broker check. I, I found a, a gentleman here in town, we, a prospective client, was getting ready to hand over over a million dollars of his hard work, his life savings, and this financial professional had filed bankruptcy three separate times. Now, I understand people run into financial difficulties. You know, I'm not making light of that. But if you've run into a situation where you've had to file bankruptcy multiple times and you can't keep your own financial house in order, I, as a prospective client, I would be a little nervous turning over my life savings to someone who's a financial professional who can't keep their own financial house in order. There's just no reason for people to do this when this is available to them. That's right. And, and, and again, you're going to go and, and look up financial professionals that have a very clean record, but it's also going to show you what licensing they have. Going back to this, that if they have a Series 7, that their compensation can come in the form of commissions. So again, knowing that they're on the financial sales side of the business. Um, you know, for us at Davidson Capital Management, having our Series 65 as a registered representative of a registered investment advisory firm, we follow the fiduciary standard that we have to follow as an RIA. I haven't seen numbers. I know once upon a time, I think we quoted there's 15,000 of us and there's over 300,000 of them. Closer to 400,000. I mean, Registered investment advisors is a very small minority in the financial service industry. So you're more often than not going to run into a traditional stockbroker than you are a registered investment advisor. Now, I, I want to just kind of give this blanket disclosure. You know, we're not using this hour to beat up on brokers. There are a lot of good, hardworking brokers. In fact, one of my friends is a broker that, that are, do right by their client, that do a good job. But you have to understand as an investor what type of an investor you are. If you're the type of an investor that likes to call the shots of what's bought and what's sold in your portfolio and when that occurs, you're best suited to work with a stockbroker. Though that's really what they're there for. They, you can ask them questions. They can give you some advice and guidance. You can bounce investment ideas off of them. They can give you their personal opinion, and they can process the trades for you. If you're the type of investor 
that doesn't want to have that control, that wants to turn over the decision-making on a day-to-day basis to the investment professional, then you're best suited to work with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management. And you have to understand the brokerage industry over the last 15-plus years, because of the pressure they've been feeling from registered investment advisory firms like us, have developed programs to give you that active asset management from either themselves at the brokerage firm or an outside money management firm that they partner with. But you have to understand that your broker is not the person that is making those day-to-day decisions. Your broker is nothing more than the middleman of that transaction. They're getting paid a fee to steer your money to an outside asset manager or to the home office to an asset management group that you will have no relationship with, they won't know you from Adam, and you're paying an extra layer of fees on top to have your broker being nothing more than a mouthpiece in this transaction, where instead of working directly with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management, you eliminate that extra layer of fees. You go directly to the source and you have that personal relationship with that investment professional who's making those day-to-day decisions with your assets. You can look at them in the white of their eyes when you're working directly with a registered investment advisor. So you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to understand those critical differences between a broker and a registered investment advisor and the differences between what is suitable, what brokers follow, and what registered investment advisors follow as a fiduciary and following that fiduciary standard. And if any of our listeners want more education, do not hesitate to pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.